I want you to know that you are led by a man of God, as President Kush said. I, uh, it was about 25 years ago that I had the privilege of being an elders quorum president in that stake in Northern California, and I learned quite a bit from his great leadership then. Years later, when he became a mission president, I had a nephew, Jacob Dalton, who had the great privilege of serving as a missionary under him and also grew quite a bit. I can testify that you are led by a man of God. And speaking of mission presidents, my mission president and his wife from my young man's mission are here today in, this, in, the, in the audience. And they say that you're called not only to serve in a certain place, but you're called to serve under a certain mission president. And I know in my case that that's right. Much of who I have become in my life, I owe to that great man. I have two goals today. One is to help you realize that you are indeed receiving revelations on a constant basis. And two, to have you leave here committed to act on those those the revelation you do receive immediately. Joseph Smith said, the Holy Ghost is a revelator. No man can receive the Holy Ghost without receiving revelations. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, what does that say about me? I don't think I'm receiving any revelations. And I want to tell you you're wrong. You are indeed. Uh, president Kirsch said that I served as a mission president in the Brazil, Sao Paulo, Interlagos mission. When I got there, I told the missionaries over and over the importance of following the promptings of the Spirit. And then I had a number of missionaries set appointments to come see me, and they said, President, with tears in their eyes, they'd say, I, I don't think I've ever had a prompting of the Spirit. And it hit me that it was my responsibility to help these wonderful, worthy young men and young women understand how the Spirit works. And I want to share with you today some of the things I shared with them. Of course, God can talk to us any way he wants. He can appear to us. He can send an angel. He can make us hear a voice. But we learn in Alma 37 verse 6, by small and simple things are great things brought to pass. So God will usually work in the simplest way possible when he's wanting to talk to us. So in order to understand how that works, we need to understand that the Holy Ghost is a spirit. And as a spirit, when he talks to us, it's a spirit, the Holy Ghost, talking to our spirit. But the problem is we've been in these earthly tabernacles, these physical bodies for so long that we get a little bit confused and, and we don't really relate to things spiritually as well as we, we should. So we need to understand it in a physical way, the spiritual event, the spiritual communication in a physical way. And in a physical way, the way those, that happens is it appears to us as a positive thought that just pops into our head. Bing. And that is revelation. That's the Holy Ghost talking to us. But the problem is we take credit for it. We think it's our thought. And as a result, we don't usually act on it. Let me give you an example. You're playing a computer game or you're on Pinterest or you're watching TV or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, you have a thought that pops into your head. Bing. I need to call so-and-so. Now, so-and-so is a friend of yours that you haven't seen in five years, you haven't even thought about in two years, but all of a sudden, while you're doing this one thing, bing, I need to call so-and-so. But you think it's your thought, so you say, I will when I'm done with this. Then when you're done with it, you forget all about it, you never call them, and you don't think bad about it because ah, it was just my idea. Wrong. 
Does it make sense to you that out of the blue you would be thinking of this person that you haven't thought about in years when you were doing something else? No, the Holy Ghost knew that that person needed to hear from you right then. And that's why you had that thought. Now, when I would tell this to teach this to the missionaries, they'd say, well, President, how can I, that makes sense, but how can I tell the difference between the Holy Ghost prompting me and, and when it's just my own thought? And I said, elders and sisters, it just doesn't matter. Do it. Just act on it. And uh, they, they'd say, well, what do you mean? I said, well, let's think about this for a second. If it really was your idea, probably wasn't. Most, most often it'll be the Holy Ghost. But if it really was your idea to do this positive thing and you do it, will God be mad? Of course not. However, if it was a prompting from the Holy Ghost and you don't do it, you risk losing his confidence in you. And the next time he's going to have to prompt someone else. I said, we're going to have a new rule in this mission. And I stole this from a great man who was a, when he shared it with me, he was a president of the Sparks Nevada Stake. And the rule that I gave our missionaries was this. A positive thought to say something or do something is a prompting from God until proven otherwise. Just act on it. And that was our rule. We needed to act when those thoughts came. And I taught them that it's kind of like every time we act on a prompting, we're tuning in our celestial radio so that the next time we act on it, it'll be a little clearer and easier to understand still. So if they wanted to understand the difference between the Holy Ghost and their own thoughts, they just needed to keep acting on it and they would tune in and it would get better each time. Now, some of you are saying, could this be true? Is that really how it works? Well, let's see what the scriptures and our living prophets say about this very thing. In DNC 6:15, it says, and I did enlighten thy mind. And now I tell thee these things that thou mayest know that thou hast been enlightened by the spirit of truth. And then in verse 23, did I not speak peace to your mind concerning this matter? What greater witness can you have than from God? And in DNC 8, 2 and 3, yea, behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. Now behold, this is the spirit of revelation. And finally in section 11, verse 13, verily, verily I say unto you, I will impart unto you of my spirit, which shall enlighten your mind, which shall fill your soul with joy. Now, also, President Nelson, in the first general conference as prophet of this church, gave a talk about Revelation. And he said in the April 2018 general conference, the privilege of receiving Revelation is one of the greatest gifts of God to his children. Now notice, he did not say one of the greatest gifts of God to his prophets. He said to his children, to all of us, to each and every one of us. So he expects, the Lord expects, and our prophet expects that we will receive Revelation. He then said, you should pray about it, and then after you pray, you should write the thoughts that come to your mind, record your feelings, and follow through with actions that you are prompted to take. In other words, he's saying that we need to act on those beings that will come, those positive thoughts that come to our mind. We need to act on them. And then he said, as you repeat this process day after day, month after month, year after year, you will grow into this principle of revelation. Now, who would know better what revelation is than our prophet? 
he said that if you think about what he's saying is, as you act on it, you are tuning your celestial radio, and each time it'll get clearer and clearer. Now, of course, with him, it's ultra clear. Some of you have heard that he keeps a pen and a notepad by the side of his bed every night. Why? Because he gets those beings in the middle of the night while he's sleeping. We need to act on these things. Now, um, Elder Rasband in uh, April 2017 General Conference quoted Joseph Smith. He said that the prophet Joseph Smith taught that if you will listen to the first promptings, you will get it right nine out of ten times. Almost always it is the Holy Ghost speaking to you, and we need to act on those things. Now, one of the things we need to remember is that the adversary is also a spirit. And as such, he talks to us in the exact same way. We will get beings that will pop into our head from him. Now, one of the things that's different between the adversary and the Holy Ghost is the Holy Ghost wants us to recognize that those promptings, those positive thoughts are really from God. The adversary, on the other hand, he wants us to think that the Holy Ghost promptings and his promptings are our own thoughts. He wants us to, to not believe that they're either from the Holy Ghost or even the promptings from him. He wants them to think that they're our own. Now, there's four important things to know about the promptings from the adversary. And this is really important to understand each of these four things. First of all, it does not mean you're a bad person if you're getting promptings from the adversary. You might be fooled to think that, oh, if I'm going to prompt you from the adversary, I'm a bad person. No. What happened to Joseph Smith when he went into the grove of trees to pray? To pray? He, had, he was overcome by the adversary, almost to the point where he gave up. And our Savior, after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, the first thing that happened, the adversary appears and tries to tempt him. So, no. When the adversary is prompting you, that doesn't mean you're bad. In fact, I would argue just the opposite. It means you're great. And he's trying to knock you off your mark. Recognize what he's doing. Also, the next thing. He is usually the second voice. Now, of course, the adversary can be and, is, and often is the first voice. But when he's the first voice, we recognize it. Because he's always trying to talk us into doing something bad. So it's easy to recognize that that's the adversary. But when he's the second voice, that's dangerous because oftentimes we think it's our own thought. And he will come right on the heels of that first prompting from the first voice from the Holy Ghost. He'll come right on the heels of that because he needs to try to talk us out of doing what the Holy Ghost just told us to do. And also, he uses logic. And oh, he is so good at that. He is really good at using logic. I could write a book this thick on all the times I was fooled by that second voice until I finally understood this principle because his logic makes so much sense. Now, God doesn't need logic. Did, how much, God knows what's right, so he doesn't need logic. How much sense did it make to build an ark on dry ground? How much sense did it make for David to think he could go fight Goliath? Or Moses to raise his rod and by doing so, the Israelites would cross the Red Sea on dry ground? No, God doesn't need logic. What he needs are sons and daughters who will have faith to act on his promptings. And finally, and possibly the most dangerous of all, the adversary oftentimes will speak in the first person to us. He will say things like, nobody likes me. I'm ugly. I'm stupid. 
I don't feel like praying. I don't get anything out of my scripture reading or I don't want to live anymore. And he will say it over and over and over, talking in the first person, hoping that you will take ownership of that thought and that you will begin acting on that thought accordingly. You need to understand that this is not you. When those negative thoughts come into your head, that is a prompting, a being from the adversary who is hoping that you will believe it's your thought. We need to recognize these and, and kick these thoughts out. Now, I'd like to give a, a couple of examples of acting on these, uh, having these thoughts from the adversary. It could happen to any husband and wife, a boyfriend, girlfriend, or a brother and sister. Well, I'll just use a husband and wife in this case. They just had a, a warm discussion, and the wife felt like, no, I don't want to add to this bad spirit. So she got up and left. The husband, bing, I should apologize. Right afterwards, bing, no, why should I? She started it. And which one does he listen to? That second one, too often. Or one that happens to all of us all the time. This has happened probably to everyone here. You get this, you have a friend over, being, ah, this is a non-member friend, being, I should invite him to our word activity this Friday night. Being, no, no, if I do, he's going to think I've been pretending to be his friend so that I could convert him. I better not do that. I'll, I'll ruin my friendship. Okay, I won't. This happens all the time. Listen, I've, li I've lived in California, Wyoming, Kansas, Massachusetts, Nevada, a lot, a lot of places where the church isn't very strong. Never, I've never come across anybody else in another church that has fear to invite somebody to their church. They invite, and if somebody says no, they go, okay. Why is it that we have that fear? It's because of the second voice. You need to recognize it and kick it out. So in, in reviewing real quickly, the four things that are important to remember about the adversary's uh, promptings. He doesn't, it doesn't mean you're bad. He's usually the second voice. He uses logic, and he oftentimes speaks in the first person. So <clears throat> now I want to return to talking about the first voice. In Brazil, my missionaries would say, President, um, you know, I'm not sure about this. I, I, uh, I was trying, I thought I was acting on a prompting, but I, it was just my own thought. And I said, Elder, what do you mean? He said, well, I, I was walking by and I felt like we should stop and clap at this house. Now in Brazil, we don't ring doorbells or knock. We, we, we clap to have permission to come on the property. And so he said, I felt impressed to clap at this house. So we clapped in and then nobody answered or, or they, were, they answered, but they were really rude. And I said, elders, it doesn't work out that way. It's not like you get to always have it work out the way you want. You can't say it didn't work out. You can say it didn't work like I thought it would. But Abinadi was prompted. He was told by God to go, go give that great speech to King Noah, and he did. Now, a lot of people could say, well, that didn't work out. Look what happened to him. God, was that a surprise to God? No, it worked out exactly like God knew it would. But he still needed that message to be sent. So just because it doesn't happen, I told him, I said, it's not like Paul Harvey. You don't always get to know the rest of the story. And, and that's when I found out that 18 and 19 year olds have no idea who Paul Harvey is. So it was a wasted analogy and maybe on some of you as well. But, uh, but you don't get to know how it ends out. You just have to trust that you did what God wanted. They still have their agency, but we still need to do what God wants. So if it doesn't work out like we thought it would, we shrug our shoulders and we move on and smile. Now, one day I finally had a an experience where I could prove to the missionaries about this. I was interviewing a woman for baptism, and I said, how did you get to know these missionaries? And she said, well, 
I love these missionaries, but they're not the reason I'm getting baptized. I said, well, why are you getting baptized? She said, well, a few months ago, I was saying a prayer. I can't really say I was praying. I was yelling at God. And I said, God, I don't even think you exist. If you do, prove it to me. Send me your angels. And I heard a clap at the door. I went to the door and I peeked out and it was two of your missionaries. And I said, no way, I am not answering the door. And they finally left after they clapped a while. And then I had this thought that popped in my head. She didn't know it, but it was a being. Those were my angels. And I said, no, it couldn't be. There's no way that you could have even answered my prayer that fast because I just barely said it and all of a sudden they're at the door. Now that was the second being that came to her. But for months it haunted her. She said that finally about three months later, two weeks before my interview with her, she said two missionaries were walking down the street. She goes, these two that are about to baptize me now, they were walking on the other side of the street coming towards me. I crossed the street and I stopped them and before I could say anything, I started crying. And I finally said, what do I need to do to join your church? I told my missionaries, I said, I don't know which one of you felt prompted to clap at that door. And then when nobody answered, you went, well, I guess it was just my thought. We can't think that way. We need to trust that we did what God wanted and know that even if we don't get to hear the rest of the story here, we did what he wanted and blessings will happen. Now, um, another message that I taught our missionaries is that even when it doesn't make sense, you need to act on it. It's really important to act on even when it doesn't. I, I, uh, sister Gunnarsson, a wonderful sister missionary in our mission, was, was on her way to an appointment one day, and she had this thought that popped in her head, being, we need to go see Kelvin. Kelvin was a young teenager that they were helping try to reactivate. But then she had this other being, being, no, Kelvin's at school right now, and we have this appointment that's already set on the other side of the area, we gotta go there. And then she remembered, no, President Dalton said, act on the first prompting. Don't listen to the second prompting. Act on the first one, even if it doesn't make sense. So she told her companion, we got to go see Kelvin. And her companion said, Kelvin's at school, and we got this appointment on the other side of the area. And she said, we're going to see Kelvin. They went. They clapped. Kelvin's mom answered the door. Is Kelvin here? No, he's at school. <clears throat> Sister Gunnarsson's companion said what any good companion would say, told you so. <laughs> Sister Gunnarsson knew why she was there. She turned around, she saw a four-year-old boy on the curb. She went up to that four-year-old boy and she said, do you know a family we could take to our church? And he pointed to a house just a few doors down from Kelvin's. She said, what's their name? Do you know them? She went to the house and clapped. It was a little more than three weeks later that they baptized the woman who answered the door, her husband and their two children. Sister Gunnarsson said, President Dalton, thank you for teaching me to act on the first prompting, even when it doesn't make sense. Because you see, God knew that she needed us at her home right then. But he also knew that we had no idea where she lived. So he told us to go to Kelvin's house and he would do the rest. Brothers and sisters, we need to act even when it doesn't make sense. Now, um... Elder Rasband, in that same talk in General Conference, said, we must be confident in our first promptings. Sometimes we rationalize. We wonder if we are feeling a spiritual impression or if it is just our own thoughts. When we begin to second guess, even third guess our feelings, and we all have, he says, 
We are dismissing the spirit. We are questioning divine counsel. And then he said, first promptings are pure inspiration from heaven. When they confirm or testify to us, we need to recognize them for what they are and never let them slip past. So often, it is the Spirit inspiring us to reach out to someone in need, family and friends in particular. Now, these stories are not in the sole custody of missionaries. They need to happen to all of us all the time. I'd like to end with a story from the person of all the people I've known personally in my life, who's the closest to God? She's passed away, it's my mom. She shared this story with us one time in a family home evening. Now my mom would always start her days in her morning prayer saying, God, trust me with at least one prompting today and I promise I will act on it immediately. Well, one day in a family home evening, she shared with us this story. It happened years earlier and she didn't share with us the name of the person, but it went like this. She said that uh, she was folding laundry. Now, my mom was always folding laundry. She's, I'm number nine out of 11 kids, so she was always doing the laundry. She was doing the laundry, and, and all of a sudden, she had this bing, bing, I need to call so-and-so. So she stopped what she was doing. She went and called her, and the call went like this. Hi, hello. How are you doing? Fine. I just felt like I should, okay. Is there anything I could do? No, bye. My mom shrugged her shoulders, smiled, knew she did what God wanted, went back to the laundry. Three days later, my mom answered the door. Why did you call me? Well, I just felt, no, I have to know. Why did you call me three days ago when you did? My mom said, come in, I'll tell you. She came in and sat down. She said, I was doing the laundry, and all of a sudden I had the strongest impression I needed to call you. The woman started crying uncontrollably. When she finally could come to She said, let me tell you why you called me. She said, for months I've been falling into a deeper and deeper state of depression. I haven't shared it with anybody. Three days ago, I decided to end my life. I got on my knees, I said a prayer to God, and I said, unless a miracle happens tonight, my sweet husband is coming home to a dead wife. I was in the very act of doing so when the phone rang, and without thinking, I grabbed it, and then after I grabbed it, I went, why did I answer the phone? And that's why I was so rude to you, and I'm sorry that I was, but as soon as I hung up the phone with you, this thought popped into my head, that was your miracle. No, it's just a coincidence. But for three days, I keep getting this thought, that was your miracle, ask her. That was your miracle, go ask her. So I had to ask you, and now I know that you, Sister Dalton, were my miracle. Thank you for acting on a prompting. You saved my life. And then my mom said, and this has stuck with me forever, what would have happened had I said, I will call her after I finish with the laundry? Brothers and sisters, we have to act on these promptings and we have to act immediately. Now, I don't want you thinking that, that we should test God by saying we're going to do something stupid unless a miracle happens. That's not what I'm trying to teach you. Because there will be people who won't act on their promptings, so don't count on that. But I am asking you to act on your promptings. In conclusion, President Kimball said, God does notice us and he watches over us, but it is usually through other people, through another person that he meets our needs. The question is, do you want to be part of that army? 
Some of you have been thinking about some beings that you've missed in your life. Now you're recognizing them for the first time. Don't worry about that. Worry about going forward. Commit now that you're going to act on the beings. Some of you had some beings during this talk. Act on those beings. That's revelation you're receiving. I challenge you to start each day with, in your prayer saying, God, trust me with a prompting today, and I promise I'll act on it. I testify that this is God's work and that he needs more people to join his army that are willing, that are seeking for promptings and willing to act on them the minute they come. And if you do that, you will change lives for eternity. And every so often, you'll even get to know the rest of the story. I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.